there's several places in Scripture that kind of outline a pastor's job. Uh, Jesus told Simon Peter, feed my sheep, uh, tend my lambs, shepherd my flock, in John 21. Uh, it comes to mind, especially since we just covered that a few weeks back. So what have we studied so far in our series on First Timothy? Well, first of all, people at church shouldn't teach strange doctrines, strange teaching. Uh, Christians should uh, pray for people in authority. Women should dress modestly. I saw Taylor back there, not braid their hair. She says, why is it that you talk about braiding your hair? I come to church, my hair braided. But that was just a specific passage in Scripture. Remember that one, Taylor? You remember that? Yeah. Anyways, and not take spiritual authority over their husbands. Men should be godly in their reputation and behavior. We should be warned that some people will fall away from the faith. You talked about apostasy. That people will be, there'll be those that profess to know God. That they'll go through the motions, but they don't follow through. Needless to say, these aren't popular topics that will build your church to be a megachurch. But it's preaching the solid counsel of God's Word. Sometimes what we preach and teach isn't what you call the most popular, especially when we stick to what God's Word says. Uh, Paul says that when a pastor points out these things, he's a good servant of Jesus Christ. I know that the pastoral performance review that I need to be concerned with, especially, it says, what does God a view as to what I teach and to what I preach. Uh, if everybody loves what I'm teaching, it's uh, because it makes them feel really good. I'll tell you something, I'm doing something wrong. Oh, it's just wonderful, Pastor. It was just great. And I'm like, oh, great. Something's not right. But when I hear things that I've heard this, you know, in the past, Pastor, I felt like you went up one side of me and down the other. Do you know what happened in my life this week? I said, really, I don't have a clue, but... I think the Holy Spirit does because he led me to preach this passage that says, and I said, unless I'm convicted by what I'm teaching and preaching, I don't preach it. i got to be convicted first. Um, and so uh, sometimes the pastor's first task, uh, as taught by many different pastors, is the idea that first you need to speak to yourself through God's Word and allow it to indwell. And if it convicts you, right, you're on the right track. Jesus said... Uh, and Luke 6.26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. That's how it happened. I simply want to be counted as a good servant of Jesus Christ by, in a sense, nourishing and building up the body of Christ so that when you walk away, you're thinking, you're chewing on what you've heard, what you've listened to, what you've learned. The apostles said that they needed to devote themselves to the Word of God and to prayer. And Acts 6.4 comes to mind here because they were so busy... Uh, and there was a, a trouble in what was happening in the church, in the early church at that point, and that's when they appointed deacons to look after some of the things so that the men could give themselves to the counsel of God's Word, to prayer, and to the spiritual oversight of the church. But here in First Timothy 4, the pastor's job of presenting the Word and walking are expounded. The following instructions are found and directed to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. They're relevant to all believers in Christ. And Paul here is referencing the warnings he had just given regarding doctrines of demons, which he talked about last week, in the first five verses of this chapter. So in 1 Timothy 4, 6-11, here's where we pick it up today. He says, if you point out these things to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myth and old wise tales, rather... Train yourselves to be godly. 
For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. For this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God, who is a Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe, command and teach these things. See, in verse 6, Paul is challenging Timothy uh, the, about the warnings about false teachers in the church. Leaders and elders cannot afford to allow doctrinal compromise or wrong teaching to come into the church. So it's our role to continue to look and listen to what people are saying and say, you know what, I don't think you're on the right track there. I think specifically what you're talking about here is not really actually, in a sense, grounded in Scripture. And that's the role. There's a lot of teaching that comes from Facebook that is really off course. It comes under the guise of biblical teaching that misleads Christians who are not grounded in the truth. I can go on Facebook every day. I can point out stuff, and I'll be straight out with you, that is pure garbage. And let me say this too. Facebook is one of the biggest purveyors of non-biblical truth that also has the greatest influence in misleading the church. And people say, really? Yes. Because I watch on Facebook from time to time. I don't want to spend a, spend a whole lot of time. But I sometimes watch the people you are quoting. And I thought, if you were to actually look at the people who you are quoting, you say, well, this phrase sounds good, but get behind the man's character or the woman's character and start looking at what do they really believe? It would shock you. Because they do not hold to the biblical teachings that this church holds to or what God's Word says. And yet, it's one of the greatest purveyors, as I said, of non-biblical truth. So be careful who you quote. Be careful who you put down. Know who you're quoting. See, the fundamental issues of faith and taking the right action need to be guarded. We need to guard what we say, what we, what we do. A good pastor elder is one who continues in the truth of the faith and good teaching. Constant spiritual growth is a necessary it's necessary in a pastor, in an elder, one who professes to say, yes, I want to be a spiritual leader. I said, great, are you growing in God's word every single day? Because the amount of influence you will have is proportionate to how much time you spend in the word. If you don't spend time in the word, don't say, I desire to be a spiritual leader. Well, the desire is good, but back it up by being a student of the word of God and knowing what it says and what it teaches. Why? Because as we teach, as we walk in whatever we do, lives can be influenced for God by how you live, or not for God. Remember Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, Matthew 5, verse 18. Ministry can be demanding for pastors, elders, and believers but never ignore your time with the Lord in word and prayer. See, every day we are tempted. We talked a few weeks ago, right? Remember about that, distractions? How many things are there that distract you from spending time in the Word? How many times throughout the day you say, well, I should probably spend a little more time in prayer? It's like a little prompt from the Holy Spirit. Or sometimes you'll say, I should have spent some more time in the Word. What's that, what's that, what's that mean? It means the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? You need to spend more time with me. You need to spend more time with me. Because God's desire, as you and I, would be transformed by the Word of God every single day. Because as I posted a while back, sometimes the only light people will see in this world is your life. 
They're just not going to open their Bible. They don't care about the Bible. They're not believers. But they're watching you. They're looking at you. As you spend time in God's Word, as it changes your life and impacts your life, people will see how you respond, how you react, what you do. People are always watching people. And we see that a lot today. Our impact for Christ will be, be, be diminished when we spend less time with God. In the next verse, Paul gives warnings and directives to Timothy. In verse 7, we're challenged to have nothing to do with godless myths and old wise fables. He said, you know, it shouldn't be like, and sometimes we say, is that really relevant to today's church? Uh, yeah. Not everything that's promoted as spiritual growth is good for you. Most of us have heard stories that claim uh, the death of an uncle's friend, cousin. He uh, picked up a hitchhiker and said, Jesus is coming soon, then suddenly disappeared. And somebody says, wow, that was an angelic passenger. Whoa. And you're like, really? He said, this sounds like National Enquirer. Well, it's amazing how many Christians go like how nice this is. We've heard Russian scientists in, in Siberia drilled a hole nine miles into the deep, lowered a microphone down into the hole, and heard human screams. They had found hell. And Chris said, did you read that? That was so really, really good. And I'm like, oh, come on, really? We heard that Procter & Gamble sponsors uh, the Church of Satan and that the long day of Joshua that we talked about where the sun never set rescued NASA's crashing computers. And sometimes Christians propagate that stuff. They, oh, yeah, did you hear about that? And you go, this is so out to lunch. Yes, I'm using far-fetched stuff. But I've heard Christians talk about it. Where there's a giant computer in Belgium nicknamed the Beast. It contains information for every person in the world, along with a unique ID number for everyone. Did you hear that? Really? Then, then the, here's another one I've heard. You, you might have heard this. Christ is coming soon. They're going to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And now they're sending stones to Israel to build the temple. You ever talk to people in uh, Israel? They don't need stones. They've got so many stones, they don't need us to ship stones to build a temple. But sometimes we as Christians can be very gullible as to what we choose to believe. And so these are all fiction, yet they spread through the Christian community like wildfire. So check your facts before you press share. Check your facts. Meanwhile, the truth of scriptures often lies buried. Too many of us are paying attention to myths and neglecting the Word of God. Paul told Timothy, have nothing to do with these things. They had different beliefs and things that were being propagated or taught in that day. And they were, the Christians were just listening like, oh, wow, really? But as believers, we need to be grounded in the truth. And see, see, when we're grounded in the truth of God's Word, we will be given a discernment by the Holy Spirit of God to discern what is right and what is wrong. So discernment, my ability to discern what's right and wrong, comes from my time that I spend in God's Word. As I spend time in prayer with Him, He will, the Holy Spirit will resonate within me. He'll bring truth to mind, and you'll go like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't add up. And the antenna goes up. And you're like, you know what? That, that's not really on track with what God's Word teaches. And so we need to train ourselves to be godly. The contrast here is that the legalist teachers had taught that 
Godliness comes from keeping specific rules of self-denial by doing these certain things and not doing these things, then you can become godly. And you know what? A lot of funny churches in the beginning stages, I would go back to the 60s, 70s, had certain lists and guidelines. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't drink. Don't dance. Don't play cards. Don't. And if you did all these things... Somehow it equated to spirituality to the day you were holy, you were more godly. You know what it did? It didn't produce godliness, it produced pride. Yep, I don't do that stuff. You do that stuff, you're a real bad sinner because I don't do those things. And so that's what legalism taught. See, godliness centers on a life that is really centered in God's word. And so when he says train, it, the Greek word is gymnasio. Gymnasio? You got that idea? It means train ourselves. To do this takes discipline and exercise. The person who benefits from this is one who does it routinely. See, an athlete exercises because it improves his performance and ability to compete. In the same way, prayer, fasting, Bible study, other disciplines help people towards a greater relationship with Christ. But he's just talking about, he's talking about exercise, bodily exercise, profit a little, but the Word of God is more. So sometimes people today, they like to use this. Rather than this. And the emphasis today in our society is lifting weights, going to the gym. And you know what? I like doing that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. You say, I can think of other things to do that's fun. But again, what the Apostle Paul is trying to say is that this profit a little. However, I've got a catchphrase, folks. Some of you would profit a whole lot if you did more bodily exercise. But that's not in the text today, so let's keep away from that. But the thing is, this, exercising yourself in God's Word by spending time in prayer, by spending time talking to God, produces eternal dividends that last throughout all eternity. You can do this for a long, long time, lifting weights, but unless you keep it up, you lose. And eventually, this body is going to go in the grave. People get older. People get wrinkles. It does happen. But a man or woman who spends time in the Word of God, that never changes. It continues to grow and develop and mature in Christ's likeness. And so the Apostle Paul talks about exercising ourselves in godliness. That it, it takes effort. It takes work. Sometimes we work so hard at the gym to keep ourselves fit. But really, how much spiritual sweating are we doing? Truthfully, no matter how hard we work, our bodies will continue to deteriorate with age. I've said that. But the investments we make with prayer and God's Word will last throughout all eternity. The Bible says in Mark 8, 36, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? In verses 9 and 10, we see that spiritual growth and nourishment for godliness do not exist in a vacuum. As believers, we need to be grounded in the living Christ. 
just emphasize with this statement, a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. The apostles and the followers of Christ followed this and strove for this. There's one purpose. They committed themselves to the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that's what changes people's lives. Many people have fixed their hope on many things. Many fix their hope on investments, funds, pension plans. They've had their hopes fixed on their financial security, their stocks, their beautiful home, etc., etc. They're trusting in their retirement to carry them through to the end. The question is, who do we trust in? Well, who do we talk about? You see, the apostle had put their, their trust in a living God, not in performance, not in legalistic requirements, but in Jesus Christ. The God we follow is a living, interactive, and present in all of our lives, and his desire is that he would be manifest through us, and that people would see that the hope that lies within us is because of what Jesus Christ has done. And when you talk to people, where is their hope? Where is the hope? Is it their accomplishments? Guess what? They're all going to die. You know, uh, when people go down to my basement and see all these trophies, lots of trophies. You know, I think when I got them, they were a lot of fun. But you know what happens? You walk up, and I was interviewed by the uh, Kingsville reporter way back when about winning the world championships, and they said, oh, do you, do you feel proud about yourself? I said, not really. Oh, don't you feel proud? Walk down the street like, I'm number one, and I've, I've won the world. I said, no. You don't? No. He said, what are you going to do? I said, keep working at it. I enjoy it. I said, primarily, it's a great opportunity to be able to share my faith with other men. I said, I, that's the part I kind of like the best. But I said, winning is kind of a bonus. But I said, see all those trophies? He said, yeah. I said, someday they're going to be in a container and go to the dump. That's where it's all going. The diplomas, the degrees, the awards, it's all going to burn up. It's only what I do for Christ. It's only what you and I do for Christ that's really going to last. And so that's why the Apostle Paul, when he's talking here, he's challenging to train yourself into godliness and, and spirituality. The idea is to put myself in places where God can bless and work through my life in a greater way. How do I do that? By going to church faithfully? By going to church faithfully? Because as I talked to the men at the men's breakfast on Saturday morning, I had a great time with the guys. It was great uh, spending time in the Word. But I said there's two specific things that will influence your life for Christ. Two things. There are Tragedy and community. That's it. Big, huge survey was done by Lifeway Resources in, in the southern states, and they checked all the different churches. That one of the two things that really transform a person's life community, tragedy. As I shared with the men, I said, you know what? When my wife and I do divorce care or grief share, we have people that are gone through tragedy. And when they've gone through tragedy, they're more open to change and wanting help and hope in that situation than anything else. What's the other thing that really helps us grow and transform as believers? Community. That's called the body of Christ. And so when you hang around with brothers and sisters of Christ, you hear stories about how brothers are praying for one another, you hear how sisters are helping out, and it spur when we hear those things, it spurs us on to want to do the same thing. That's how we change. So if you're not changing in your walk with God, it's because you're spending time in the wrong community 
Or you can say, Pastor, please pray for a tragedy to happen in my life. So I will change. Now, I've never heard anybody ask me to do that ever. Oh, I need a tragedy, so I'll change. But the bottom line is, do we want to change for the glory of God so that his love and glory will be manifest through us? The answer should be, yeah, I do. Can you say you fixed your hope on the living God? 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10 says this, We do not rely on, our, on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope and he, that he will continue to deliver us. If you fix all your hope on anything that is on this earth, hear me loud and clear, you're going to be disappointed. Because, you know, some, sometimes I meet young gals and they go like, I can't wait to meet that man. That wonderful man's going to be my husband and my life is going to be so good. So I hate to give you a reality check. But we're not all that good. <laughs> By the grace of God, yes, he transforms us and meeting a godly man would be a great thing. But as godly a husband or, or man you might marry, he or she will never, ever meet all your needs. So when I do premarital counseling with a couple, I say, you know what? You need to understand something. I say, what's that? You need to understand that this wonderful man or this wonderful woman you're looking at will never meet your needs. Totally. Meet some of your needs, but not all. The only one that will meet your needs is Jesus Christ. Talk to couples who love each other dearly, who walk with God, and they will tell you that. Who do you fix your hope on? You say, well, I'm hoping to have this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful home, and when I get this beautiful home, I'll, I'll be happy and I'll be satisfied. Guess what? Not happening. I've met those people. I've seen those homes. And man, they are magnificent. They are beautiful. But you know what? They're not happy. They're not satisfied. Because sometimes... When we look at what the world says brings happiness, it's not true. It'll bring momentary happiness, momentary joy, momentary, but it doesn't last. As we fix our eyes on the living God, we will never be let down by what he can do in and through our lives. But for some of us, it's a hard road to walk it's a hard road to learn from because we're going to try everything else to bring joy into our lives. Only finally coming to a point where we realize it's only Jesus that can bring that satisfaction. Since God's the Savior of the world and all people, there's only one message that will bring hope to anyone. Because somebody says, well, we often, you know, you, you use this. We've used it as believers too sometimes. Say, say, hey, what if you want a million bucks? What would you do with it? a big smile and we try to determine with the money what we will do with it because we think if, if there's more money then I would definitely be happy guess what it's not true but let me just qualify that you will enjoy it for a little bit <laughs> that's the truth that's why people pursue it it's important for all of those who share the good news of Christ with those who need to know that the only one that brings true happiness true joy is Jesus Christ himself. You're a sinner. But remember, again, as we share the good news of Christ, that he's the only hope, the gospel is offensive. Did you hear me? 
The gospel is offensive. You're going to tell people you're a sinner and you need to be saved from your sin. Is that offensive? Yeah. You're going to tell them there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ because of his death and his resurrection. Is that offensive? There's only one way. You you can't pick your own way. Yeah, that's offensive. If you choose to reject the message of Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Is that offensive? Yeah, it is. It sounds offensive, but you know what? It's the truth. It's the truth. He's a savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Not everyone will be saved. There'll be those who refuse, those who cling to idols. Jonah said in Jonah 2 verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. They hang on to their worthless things, thinking they will bring joy, thinking they will be bring happiness to their lives. But that's how they'll die, clinging to their worthless idols. Look around you. What are people hanging on to? But everyone who puts his or her hope in the living God acknowledges and embraces the truth that Jesus Christ is all we need. And we can put our full hope in what Christ has done for us. Not in what we've done, but everything he's done for us. Paul's challenge was for Timothy and the leadership to command and teach others about Christ. And what's the simple message of salvation that we bring to the world? You know these verses. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 Timothy 2.4, Who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. He wants everyone to come there. John 12.32, But when I'm lifted up from the earth, speaking of his crucifixion, I will draw all men to myself. 2 Peter 3.9, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus Christ died for every person here today, and yet to those who reject him, they will be lost for all eternity. Is the gospel offensive? Yes, but it is the truth. So somebody says, well, can, can we, can, there's got to be a way, Pastor, to, to make it sound really nice, because can we just say, you know, you know God loves you so much, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. I said, yeah, but I said, you need to understand that God's love is definitively different than what we think it is. God loves people so much that he he desires that none should perish, go to hell, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Therein we place our hope that my trust and what Christ has done for me alone is sufficient and will bring me to heaven. But the thing is, what are we going to focus on? Because one thing I, I know is happening more and more today is a lot of people are getting to uh, this game, aren't they? Physical fitness. You got CrossFit, you got lifting, you've got runners. You've got a lot of people doing that. And they're, they're, getting, they're developing communities and groups and Yesterday was Tough Mudder at Malden Hill, and everybody was doing that. You saw pictures on the on Facebook of different teams all covered in mud, and what a joyous thing. But you didn't see a bunch of Christians holding up the Bibles. Hey, great time in the Word today, hey? The world likes this, but they're not so sure about this. 
But folks, as we spend time in God's Word daily, allowing Him to instruct us, to teach us, to show us, and our lives are transformed, our lives will be changed for all eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts today. Lord, again, as we present your word, our desire, Lord, is that each one of us would take time to grow in godliness and Christ-like character. Lord, you want to transform our lives every single day, every moment. That, Lord, when people see us, they see the light of Christ in and through us. Father, help us to live for the purpose to which we've been called to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us not to get distracted, but help us when we that, we hear that small voice, hey, you should pray a little more. Hey, you, you need to spend some more time in the Word. That we listen and allow you to have your way in our lives. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.